No, there is nothing wrong with your podcast feed. You are getting a bonus interview. The interview is done with Michael Block, who is the editor of IFC Midnight's new film, Watcher, which is available on VOD starting today, June 21st, 2022. You can rent it through all your normal VOD purposes, uh, services, I should say. Amazon, Apple, Vudu, it's available today. It's also still playing in theaters. Uh, I would assume it's probably on its way out in the next couple of weeks, so you might want to just do a little search and see if you can find a showtime. We don't really get into spoilers, but if you're unfamiliar with what Watcher is, Watcher is a new film from IFC Midnight directed by Chloe Okuno, and it stars Micah Monroe. Chloe Okuno, you might know, is the director of the Ratma segment from VHS 94, and Micah Monroe, you know from The Guest, and It Follows. It's a psychological thriller that we highly recommend you check out, and luckily, we do not get into spoiler territory, so you you can listen to this without watching the movie, but we highly encourage you watch the film. Enjoy this interview. Jeremy Jones is with me. Hello. Hello. And today we're interviewing a, uh, well, Jeremy's older friend. I only know him from Late Night Grindhouse. Ooh, older friend. But we've I, I think yeah. we've had good times at Late Night Grindhouse, and he's, you know, left St. Louis. He knows what's good for him. <laughs> he's uh an editor on the recently acquired film watcher that just uh played at sundance today we have michael block with us to shoot the shit hello thanks for joining us thanks for having me what can you tell us about watcher in terms of first of all uh, i got to see it good um, for the premiere and i really enjoyed it good um and congrats yeah just announced today before we recorded uh, IFC and Shutter mm-hmm. picked it up for distribution, which is IFC awesome. Midnight. Um, so I think they'll be doing the theatrical. Okay, nice. Um, what can you tell us about the film? Um, so it's uh, about a woman, uh, an American woman who moves to Bucharest with her husband and um, he's sort of absent and she's sort of left to her own devices and gets the sense that someone is stalking her. So as she's sort of like having, um, some culture shock and sort of like dealing with a lot of, uh, free time that she didn't really expect, you know, there's sort of this sense of, uh, whether it's in her mind or not. Uh, I think yeah. there's, you know, the the official synopsis is probably a little bit more eloquent than that, or maybe that's the best <laughs> one. But yeah, it's it's sort of like, am I crazy or is the world crazy? So yeah, and it's um, you know, I there's a lot of influence I felt from, um, you know, uh, European jalos really like um, in terms of kind of like deep red. Um, bird with a crystal plumage in terms of like, you know, what am, am I experiencing this or am I kind of imagining it all? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's funny, like thinking about some of the set pieces do feel sort of um, Argento-esque to me. Um, there's a scene in a theater 
that definitely feels that way. Or at least, you know, as I was sort of putting it together, um, you know, I was like, oh, this is uh, very Argento-esque. And it's like, I don't know if other people would feel that way. I agree. Like, um, it almost feels like something out of opera. Really. Yes. Totally. So what... So uh, the director, Chloe, um, did she give you like any influences to draw from when when you came down to edit it? Or was she just like, edit this lean and mean? Like, what was the directive? Oh, no, we had a lot of conversations about it. Um, There were a bunch of um, reference movies that I watched. Um, So let's see, I did The Tenant. I did Rosemary's Baby. I did Perfect Blue, which I had never seen. And I saw, I mean, love Perfect Blue. That one is awesome. And I really wish that I sort of had seen it. Like, I I enjoyed it a lot. But if I had seen it when I was like 15 or 16, when I was into like Requiem for a Dream and like the 90s Fincher stuff, I think would have really uh, knocked me on my butt. Um, And also just rewatching Let the Right One In, which I hadn't seen for like, you know, eight years or so was great. Um, But also, you know, the nice thing about her writing is that it's like, she writes very cinematically. So you sort of read it and you're like, I can feel what kind of movie this is. And I sort of know where I am. Um, But she definitely had an idea of how she wanted it cut. And she's like, you know, I kind of want these like longer, uncomfortable takes. And like, this is not like a a rapid fire movie. Um, Like it's definitely not um, like, an Edgar Wright thing or anything like that. And we're, we're not, she wanted it to be in like more of a classic style. And I can confirm that a lot of those takes are uncomfortable. Just like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like it's like, even in the dailies, like I, I think at like the, the earliest level, like the creepy stuff um, was very creepy. Um, which was a very good feeling. I think anytime you get a movie, like you talk about it, you know what it's going to be. It's like you have a sense of what it's supposed to look like. And you're like reading the script. You're like, Oh, we can use this shot and this shot and this shot. And you either get that stuff or you don't. And like, it was definitely there. Um, so that was really nice. This isn't the first time you've worked with uh, Chloe Acuno, the director. No. Would you like to talk more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so we went to AFI together. Um, I cut her thesis film slut in 2014 um and we've just been looking for opportunities to work together ever since um but i think that we sort of developed a shorthand uh on that movie and sort of like it just made it a lot easier getting into this one although they're they're pretty different um aesthetically so we needed to kind of like there were a lot of new tricks we had to develop and stuff like that but yeah for sure um, Watcher's a bit of a slut reunion. Mm-hmm. Um, it also features the same cinematographer. It sure does. Um, his name is Benji Nielsen. He is great. Um, and I think he uh, moved back home to Denmark. Um, so I haven't seen him much since. But yeah, he is awesome. And I love getting my hands on his footage. Awesome. Um, with it being shot in Bucharest, I guess, how do... I mean, do you see dailies or how do you get footage? Is it all after principal photography wraps? Oh, no, mercifully not. Uh, So it's there's a delay. Um, I think we were on like a two day delay. Um, 
one to two days. Uh, but it's not that different from um, getting footage on anything else. I've worked on shows where they shoot in New Zealand and stuff like that. And they upload mm-hmm. it, uh, they prep it, upload it, and then you know I download it so we're good. Um, but the 10 hour time difference was pretty interesting. Um, and that led to some situations where it's like, you know, they would shoot something on a Friday and they'd have that location for half a day on Monday. So I'd have to, you know, cut the scene and get it back to them pretty quickly. I think one time they shot on a Friday and then they were shooting the rest of it on a Saturday. So they needed the scene done to look at by the time I would normally get dailies in the morning anyway. So that was the pretty interesting (laughs) so i've never cut you know like a a three minute you know kind of like set piece scene starting at six in the morning um but it was fine we did it like i said i was really just impressed with the movie um i enjoyed a previous film you edited on um bad batch Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think from 2017 sounds right um that was on Netflix for like ever, actually. Yeah, uh, it uh, it kept being recommended to me, and I was like, Netflix. <laughs> I've seen this movie maybe more than anyone. Like, I I would like it, but I've uh, I've seen it. Um, yeah, it's funny you you work on something, and then when it comes out, is always like I think of that movie as like a 2016 movie because I cut it in 2016. So mm-hmm. I don't always remember like when things come out. Like to me, Watcher is a 2021 movie because um, I worked on it starting March of last year. But people will be like, oh, that's the one from 2022. I'm like, sure. But time is very confusing now anyway. So <laughs> So uh, what what would be the like the, the difference you have creatively and just like in process from being an assistant editor because from what I understand you've done a lot of assistant editor work sure. versus being the main editor. Oh, totally different. Um so creatively as an assistant editor, it all depends on what your editor, you know, sort of asks you to do. Um there's a lot of prep work. Um, you know, creatively, sometimes you do scoring, sometimes you do sound effects, things like that. Sometimes you do temp VFX. So, you know, a lot of that is sort of functional, but, uh, I learned to do a lot of scoring as an assistant. I learned to do a lot of sound design as an assistant, um, and also just watching how editors work and what they do and what they don't do. Um, sometimes they throw you scenes. Um, so I got to practice on that. Um, but it is a lot different as an editor. And there were times where I'm like, oh man, I'm finally an editor. And there are other times where I'm like, oh God, I want to be an assistant again. Like put me back. Um, but yeah, there's, depending on who you're working for, you know, there's plenty of creative stuff you can do. Um, it's always a very nice feeling as an assistant when you like have some sound effects that make it all the way through to the end. Um, which is a nice feeling. You know, in a way, it's kind of your fault I'm here interviewing you because oh, no. I remember in 2010 you saying, oh, some guy's showing Evil Dead at uh, High Point. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I didn't know at the time it was a new print. Yes. Um, somebody could have done better, you know, job promoting that. But uh, <laughs> Oh, oh yeah. My very first late night greenhouse. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah way to go. But he was like, oh, the Beyond's playing next month. I was like, let's fucking go. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. the uh, the Beyond screening that I think about a lot, where a lot of people, it was like sort of like 
the usual crowd of people chuckling. And then someone was like, it's not a comedy, okay? <laughs> and at first I was like, who's this yes. not drunk jerk? And then later I was like, <laughs> I sort of like slowly became that sometimes drunk, sometimes not jerk in a theater where I'm like, oh, guys, like Maniac just walked into a room. It's not that funny. <laughs> so I think Time there's a place. difference, though, in terms of like with because I, I remember and I bring that up all the time because it's like it's a midnight movie. Yes. And those high point shows were definitely more chaotic, as we all know mm-hmm. and remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> like Fulci movies are not known for their dialogue because it was no the dubbing that was cracking people up. Yeah, it wasn't the set pieces. It wasn't this, you know. But I just remember being like, "Why are you so bent out of shape over, you know, over Maestro Fulci?" People laughing at his dialogue. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like when I look at Zombie, I'm like, the first like thirty minutes of that movie is like people on the phone. It's like there's just not. <laughs> it's like Fulci in his office, like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. You need to go, uh huh. And it's just like, okay. You know, like there's not a lot happening until something really nasty happens. You know, and with like you experiencing kind of the midnight movie scenes like here and then in L.A., what do you think is kind of different about the two and the approaches of them? I mean, it's it's interesting because I so obviously like it's been a while since I've done midnight movie stuff here. It's also been a while since I've done like literal midnight movies as I get older and it does start to feel like late. Um, But Andy, tell them uh, when late night grindhouse starts in the suburbs. Yeah. It's 30 PM now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there, you really appreciate when something wild plays in like Chicago or St. Louis and like, Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of like what was playing in St. Louis where I was like, ah, drop everything. We're going, you know, and it's like uh, faces of death at Ronnie's. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Where we literally (laughs) said drop everything. We're going. And I rushed over there to ensure that I would fall asleep during that movie. So, yeah, we both fell fell asleep. Um, (laughs) And apparently that was Josh contributor. Josh Lightfoot's copy that was shown that night. So, yeah, there's even that connection to it. I remember there was some kind of like they gave some kind of intro intro and it was like, they were like, there's something wrong with the movie or this movie's gross. Or like, there's a leak in the theater. Like there was something they were explaining. I was like, I'm so drunk right now, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> like, just, just give us the movie. Um, or they did like trivia or something. I don't know. Weird. Yeah. There's like four people there besides too. us. I think I, that I, was, I think 2000. 10 yeah it was old. it was around the same year and i'm like oh of course you know as soon as i start a, a midnight program they they want to jump in the pool even though like i used to work at Warenberg and they yeah. never were really interested in that well faces of death i guess is uh all it needed <laughs> well i mean, I mean I the- if i remember correctly it was just faces of death and that was about it um <laughs> uh- <laughs> Yeah, I think it's definitely the opposite approach that we had at um, Bleeding Deacon, where I was like, okay, well, we'll we'll start pretty easy and then get crazy as we go. And I think rightfully everyone else was like, get crazy now because everyone has seen Tango and Cash. And I'm like, yes. Do you guys um, want to explain like the Bleeding Deacon? Oh, because you- yeah, so uh, 
Mike, go ahead, since I was kind of oh. your... Oh, sure. Um, so I had a friend who worked there, and I think things were kind of slow um, on, like, Tuesday or Wednesday nights. And they were like, hey, do you want to show some movies uh, and, like, get some more people in? And I think we started showing them at 9. Yeah. And then that got pushed to 10. And I think at one point we were playing them at midnight on Wednesdays and a lot of people were showing up and I was like, man, I have like, I work at a law firm and like, I'm going to work <laughs> the next day, staying up all night. It during, was like, like 11 PM start time or something. I know it got pushed yeah. really far back. It was like, had yeah. to get there before the kitchen closed. If you wanted food. Yes. Getting paid like, in luck. like steak sandwiches to play McBain and garbage pail kids. Um, but people were showing up and it was a blast. Like it was really fun. And it's the kind of thing where you put a lot of energy into things that don't matter as much as the stuff you realize you're not putting it into. It's like the design of the flyers was not as important as just getting the flyers out and like advertising yeah. to people who you knew would bring other people. Um, but yeah, I think we programmed some really fun stuff. And I think I was out of town for garbage pail kids and which is a bummer because I like both of those movies. Was not a uh, it not a well attended one. <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I would have shown up for sure, <laughs> but it was it was my pick. I mean, that also yeah. Um, you know, it's like maybe not quite as wild as our a pop month, um, where it was like Black Devil Doll from Hell and Boxers Omen. Yeah, but that was like balls to the wall for yes, you know, five. As opposed to like, because it lasted, I think, March through June. Yeah, that seems right. Like, I feel like someone was like, there were a lot of things happening at once. Like someone was like moving away and it got really hot and like the air conditioning broke. So I think it was just like time to call it for it more was, than one reason. But I don't remember exactly why. Yeah, the place we were at was this like converted this establishment which is if you're in st louis now the drawing board um had an upstairs that was being used as a house that person or an apartment that person had moved away and they converted into like a private space so the movie nights were held upstairs and it was fine till you know the <laughs> fucking summer hit and they would turn on the air conditioning at like maybe 6 p.m wednesday night so oh yeah there was just no way in hell to air condition that much space yeah that's not gonna cool down yeah no <laughs> um the biggest night was peanut butter solution oh man where they ran out of stag i think they went across the street to get beer that's amazing uh that uh. sounds right i feel like did i go across the street like i feel like i remember no, no, no. Some kind of somebody who worked at the bar did no, I remember trying to find a screen because our first few nights were on somebody's sheet. Like, I don't yes. think we even went out and bought sheets. I think we borrowed a sheet. So uh, <laughs> if you drove past Chippewa, um, <laughs> those nights you saw Tango and Cash uh, being projected, Return of the Living Dead. And I'm trying to think of what was the other like. I think Roadhouse was like one of our first. I think our yeah. fourth one we got crazy and we showed something that was like a little bit wilder and it was way more attended. I don't remember what that was though. Was that boxers omen or no, wait, we didn't play that twice. No. Cause we only did that at a pop, but right, right, right. Um, yeah. The video wasteland was where I met 
um, the A-pop, you know, crew because they were coming and then started going to their movie nights. And Sean, you know, from the moolah was shutting down the bar (laughs) early to come to our movie nights. Oh, man, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, like it was this crazy must attend thing. And it was like, I know Grindhouse was in its second year. Um, I remember Michael Hafner coming out a couple times and bringing flyers for Grindhouse. Yeah, I think it was Deadly Friend, because I think that's where I uh, met them as well. So that seems right. But it was like, yeah, it was like for a year, three times a week, you could see a crazy movie for free or like pretty cheap, um, which was amazing. And it was like, especially like when I could make my own hours at work, I was like, then I will. So <laughs> it's like, we're, we're going to see like a movie on Tuesday night at 10 and Wednesday night yeah. at midnight and then Saturday night, 1230. And it's like, fine. Saturday night, we're seeing pieces. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It was a wild west of like movie screenings for sure. Yeah. I mean, thinking back to the difference between L.A., and um st louis though it's like i feel like you all played society way earlier than we got it here like did that ever play or am i making that up i feel like there was something that was did you ever play society yeah that was the last moolah show yeah okay so yeah that one was like work (sighs) that played once like from a digital print um but like that i think it played on 35 when i was in a job that was like totally nuts and there was a day where i was like hey i have an event tonight uh does it look like i might be able to get out by you know seven and they were like i don't see why not and i was there until 3 30 so you know yeah it's like when you're on a pilot you're just like don't make any plans ever because things can just like turn on a dime and they definitely did but that was it was a double feature with bright of reanimator and um brian usna was there so yeah nice but yeah you you get spoiled so quickly in la uh it's like when i first moved here they were doing like i think like a summer of 83 thing at the new bev and i was going to that a lot Mm -hmm. and they were doing um uh, they did like a huge Total Recall show because the Total Recall remake was coming out and Paul Verhoeven was there and I was just like dying and like we waited forever to talk to him and when <laughs> we finally did he was like oh thank you so much for coming I was like why are you thanking us like you are not a young man and you stayed up all night to just put up with us so that was amazing um, but yeah I, I mean it's just like I think the last thing I saw sort of like the like pre Delta, there was a killer rat uh, double feature at the new Um, So it was deadly eyes and of unknown origin. And I think that's like one of the only times I dipped into a theater. I was like, we're rolling (laughs) the dice on this one. So (laughs) I I think that's a good double feature to roll the dice on. Yeah, um, I was like, I was like, man, they are trying to get me back into a theater, and they're just like, they're, they're like, would so you come hard. back for these rats? And I was like, I'll do it, I'll do it. <laughs> you got me, fine. 
Um, there was one that I really wanted to go to where it was like a double feature of the Exterminator and Combat Shock. And we had a oh, professor shit. who was like, I'm cutting a huge movie for Fox. You can like, as a class, come to this preview. And I was like, wow, that's like crazy access. I really kind of want to go see the Exterminator, but yeah. uh, I didn't. Uh, so it'll play what again. movie was it can you say yeah it was dawn of the planet of the apes so it was oh wow it was a good movie yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was i was i was like you i don't yeah i don't need to goof around with that one um <laughs> but yeah uh i don't know the what's funny is like working on slut um there was a nice bonding moment where um as a team um, Chloe, myself, and our producer all went to a triple feature of Angel, Vice Squad, and Savage Streets. Oh, and wow. I was going for Vice Squad, and I was like, uh, we'll see Angel, whatever. I've never seen it before, and I was like, fine. But we loved it, and like Angel became a movie that we talked about quite a bit working on that movie. Um, and that makes sense now, because I didn't see Angel till I guess, Halloween when it was on Last Drive-In. Mm-hmm. Um, but that makes a lot of sense. Rewatch, I rewatched Slut last night, and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it's a based on its sort of like notorious advertising. Uh, it's a surprisingly like sweet and warm movie, and like there's a lot yeah. of like empathy from and for its protagonist. Like, I sort of get the feeling that it was like a very sleazy premise that someone was like, okay, how do we make like a movie the human beings would like given this premise? Um, but yeah, uh, Savage Streets, I don't know if we stayed for, but I think for me, that one is more about the trailer and the soundtrack than the movie, but it's whatevs. You didn't Were see you it here? in St. Louis? Hmm? Yeah, he did show it here. Um, that was at the High Point days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what year was that though? Maybe that was after. I thought it was 2011. It could have been 2012 though. Huh. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I remember seeing it at High Point. Because we showed Vice Squad and Savage Streets on thirty five at High Point. Um, mm -hmm. I can't remember the months, but I want to say Vice Squad may have been like a November or a December show. I w I'll I'll go with November. I'm trying to remember if you know, I was there for Vice Squad. I don't think I was. So it was probably after 2012. Okay. Yeah, because right. um, I know uh, <laughs> mutual friend and listener VJ attended Vice Squad with me. So, well, that's that's how we'll we'll mark the time. We we <laughs> honored your memory with, but I think he was in town too, or I don't know. It was um, we honored your memory with pizza and Vice Squad. So I oh, think yes, you were definitely represented that night. Oh, good. Yeah, that makes me very happy. So I'm just curious as as editor and assistant editor have you ever mm -hmm. like i've always been interested on how people kind of get into that gig uh were you ever like editing trailers together like i've heard people um that become feature length film editors or even short film editors cut their teeth on trailers did you ever do that 
No, but it's funny you mention that because I I went to AFI wanting to do that. So I, you know, was like a Final Cut Pro kid in the early 2000s and would sort of like make my own trailers and a lot of the like 42nd Street Forever DVDs were out and like Grindhouse was out. So that was really fun. Um, and I was like, man, this is what I want to do. Um, and when I went to AFI, they were like, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to do TV or movies? I was like, I want to do trailers. And they're like, so what are you doing here? Uh, and I was like, oh, uh, whoops. Um, <laughs> I think uh, a lot of people I know like get started in reality or music videos. Um, and I think like uh, some of the New World guys, uh, it's like I think um, like Joe Dante and maybe Mark Goldblatt were doing trailers and then moved into features. Yeah, Alan um, did. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I it was going to AFI, meeting a bunch of people there. So you cut a bunch of shorts there. Um, and then, you know, just like everyone does like odd jobs for their first year out. So you're just cutting whatever you can get. I think I did a bathing suit commercial that only played on mall TVs uh, in <laughs> Lebanon, um, which was pretty fun. Like we had a producer at school who was like, I need like five spots. So like five different editors were like cutting these bathing suit commercials. Uh, that was pretty silly. Um, but everyone was like, oh, I need to get like my first feature. I need to get my first like union job. And then it's like, I need to be like a union editor. So you're always like working your way up this ladder. Um, and I think after Bad Match, um, I did like a couple of web series and I was like, I want to work union. So that led me into TV and um, trying to work my way up through TV, which was definitely the plan uh, until Watcher came along and I was like, we're doing features. So we're doing, <laughs> we're doing a feature, uh, hopefully like keeping the ball rolling. Um, but I, I think I stayed an assistant a little bit longer um, than a lot of my classmates uh, just because I was sort of picky and kind of waiting for the right thing to come along. So are you going to stick to features or are you going to go back? Uh, that is a good question. Um, I it, it kind of depends on what comes up um, after this. I'm working with another director I went to AFI uh, with right now who's also uh, amazing, and I did her thesis film. Um, so part of me is like, I really enjoy working with both of those directors. And part of me is like, wherever they go, I would love to go with, um, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's, you sort of like try to steer your career as much as you can, but sometimes it's sort of like where the wind blows you. Um, so we'll see what happens. I mean, like the most steering, honestly, I did for a while was, uh, trying to avoid crazy commutes. I was working like 90 minutes away for a while. And I was like, oh, I got to just, yeah. I got to start turning down these jobs so I can work only 40 minutes away or like only 30 minutes away. So that's, those are like the big decisions I made. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, it's more about the people I'm working with. Um, you know, if you have a good team, you can work on anything. Like I would rather work on, you know, police Academy with people that I love than something that everyone loves with people that I don't, <laughs> but also like, I'd want to work on police Academy anyway. So that's not really fair. So you're confirming there's a police Academy reboot. <laughs> I'm <anyways>. confirming <laughs> that I'm cutting the police Academy reboot with my friends. And they're like, can you make all these sounds for us? And I was like, uh, no, but sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> They're like your motor mouth now, and I'm like, fine. So on a, on, a, on a technical angle, like uh, what what editing suite do you use, or um, is there a preference that sure. you have? Um, so I definitely love cutting on Avid. That's what I was trained on, and that's what most um, you know TV shows work on. Um, I think it's great. Everyone swears by the one that they use, though. I feel like Premiere is a little bit more maybe for like music videos and stuff. I know there are some features uh, that have used it. I think the Venture movies do Premiere. Um, but yeah, I think I think Avid's the best. But frankly, the best one is the one that you know how to use the best. So, um, But if anyone is wondering, and it's like, if you want to move to LA and be an editor and work on TV shows, you should probably learn Avid. Yeah, I know. I know it was a standard for a long time, and now like, it's kind of a mix, right? It's like you know Premiere, cool, you can edit something, but if you know Avid, you know more of the industry. But then there's also like, it seems like there's a subset of people that really want DaVinci Resolve to like, oh sure, start rocking. Um, yeah, I mean, I know people who've cut shorts on Resolve and they love it. I mean, it, ultimately, what it comes down to is, I think like can you have projects that multiple people are working on at once? And Avid is designed for that for sure. So if you have a TV show and you're trying to share, you know, sequences with your assistant, you can do that super easily with Avid. Um, I don't know how much that is with Resolve, but honestly, if you're just one person and you're cutting something at home, it may not matter. Um, And I think for technical reasons, you know, that can handle... Um, high res footage and you can do a lot of obviously a lot of color work in there so yeah makes sense to me well what's what's like one big takeaway that um you learned after moving to la working with other editors as an assistant editor or even just on your own like what's something you never thought of prior to moving out there oh man everything i i mean i'm sure there's a lot sort of like what is important in terms of editing and like being someone who was like a a film theory student to going into post-production and like what are your priorities as an editor um and everything i was like i don't necessarily have it wrong but i definitely don't have it right to be doing the things that i want to be doing um you know, I, I think one of the first big shocks, which was pretty embarrassing, is like, you know, as an editor, you have all this power to do anything to your movie. Um, but it's also like politically as an editor, you don't have that power because you're not the director. So that was a thing I learned pretty quickly in school and was like a little embarrassing kind of figuring that out. Um, but after that, it's like learning to be collaborative, learning how to kind of take notes. And like, even if something's working, it's like, look, it's not what they're looking for. Like, you got to be pretty light on your feet. Um, you know, I think one of my favorite things is just the way in which something that doesn't sound like it will work leads you to something that's amazing. And like getting notes where you're like, that's a terrible note, you know, turns out to be amazing. So really, it's very, very humbling. Um, you know, I've kind of learned never to say like, oh, this is my favorite shot in the movie because whether consciously or unconsciously, it is like coming right out. Um, so yeah, it's just like being flexible 
and, um, you know, working towards a common goal and, you know, sort of like being a one man band where I would just like shoot my own stuff and edit my own stuff. Like you just don't do that. Um, and learning to communicate because again, when you shoot your own stuff and you edit your own stuff, you're kind of like, I know what I want and I'll just try things and it's fine. And it's like developing, um, a language with a director and, um, you know, there was some stuff at AFI that was really funny and, you know, in, in any kind of career, this is true, but whenever you kind of do something, you're like, what do you think? And someone's like, yeah, it is great. Or it's just sort of this like coded language where there was one person I worked with who was like, yeah, I love it. And then would pause and like determining the length of the pause was how much they like really, really hated it <laughs> and wanted it to be different. And they would be like, yeah, it's awesome. Great. I love it. And then it would be like a long pause. And it's like, all right, let's move on. I was like, Ooh, we're coming back to this pretty soon. Uh, and we always would. So, you know. It is all about communication, but I always find uh, just like making sure you are trying to make the same movie that your director does. Uh, because at a certain point, it's like if you don't know what they're looking for and they leave the room and they're just saying like, cut here, cut here, cut here. And you're like, I don't know what we're doing. Um, you know, you can't do anything when they leave. Um, and that's sort of like on both people because it's like if as an editor, a lot of times you're just like, well, you should like, you know, try and understand like what they're going for. And it also comes from the top down um, where it's like, how clear is their vision for this thing, you know, so that you can sort of contribute to it because they're thinking about a million different things and like they're pretty swamped. So if you can add to that, um, like that's your job. Um, I think that's, I don't know if that's the answer to your question, but that is no. an answer. So we can find no, a question that that goes it's to. It's a solid answer. <laughs> um, so, so like, as far as, you know, I know you studied film theory and, and you're obviously a fan as I'm looking at your giant piranha poster um, of the genre. I mean, do you think, I, I know obviously the standard answer is probably going to be like a job's a job, but do you find more excitement or does your blood get racing whenever it's like a genre film? Um, depending on the genre movie, like what gets my blood racing is like seeing places where we can just like really manipulate the audience. So it's like, you know, if you're working on a drama and you're like, Oh man, I know people are going to cry here. And like, I just want to like squeeze it out of them um, or something like that. I mean, with watcher, like there was stuff where it was like, I was reading the script and I jumped. So I was like, if we can translate that, we will just be like really doing whatever we want to the people in the theater. Um, so yeah. Um, you know, sometimes it's like you read something and you're like, oh God, I've like read this like a billion times and it's like the same, the same, the same. And you're kind of like, okay, well, the music comes in here. Okay. We, we do this, we do that. Fine. Um, so, you know, you start to like roll your eyes with certain things, but it's like, yeah, I would much rather work on, um, a genre movie, I think there was sort of like a kind of movie at AFI for a while. And again, like having been out for 10 years, I don't know what it is currently, but you know, for a while it was always like a movie where like there would be a drama where nothing was said for a while. Then there's a big argument where someone's like, dad, mom is like gone. Okay. Or it's like, why didn't you tell me you were an alcoholic? And it was just kind of like, there's a 
thing where it seemed like they were movies that wanted to be from life experience and weren't. And you could tell where it's like, oh, well, like I really like this, like less is more kind of drama. But I was just like, oh God, I don't want to do these. Um, so yeah, like I remember getting the script for Slut and I was like, oh, this is a really good script and it's a movie I would want to see. And I think after a lot of these movies, like this movie would really like stand out. And it did. So yeah. As a fan of the genre, are are there like scenes or certain cuts or anything like that you try to avoid when you're doing editing? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, are you a fan of jump cuts? Are you not a fan of jump cuts? I mean, it all, it's funny. It's more like, there are things that I do where I kind of, I'm like trying to solve something in a scene. I'm like, Ooh, this would really make it sing. And I was like, I'm going to put this in. And I know this is the first thing that's going to come out. So sometimes like um, when someone gets hit and you really want to like emphasize it. So you put like a white flash in on the hit and it's like, I love that, but I've worked with Mm -hmm. a lot of people who are like, get rid of that. Um, And they're probably (laughs) right. Um. Yeah, I mean it's all it's all movie dependent. Sometimes you work on something and you're like that absolutely should be a jump cut and there are other movies where it's like it's all long takes. So I'm trying to think of things where I'm like, "Oh, I just don't want to do this." Um I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I'm sure when I go to work tomorrow I'm like, "Oh, please don't make me do this." And it's like a scene's <laughs> just like it's all we got. We got to do it. So I'm like, "I mean, uh, you can blame me sorry. if that happens, I guess." It's I your fault. Question. Yeah. yeah um no it's all it's all just kind of like knowing what movie you're in and what genre you're in i mean i i will say with watcher it was kind of tricky because we were trying to like figure out our sound design um so we were kind of like you know the sound libraries we had it was a lot of like horror stings so Mm -hmm. we had like dialed in kind of like the sound grammar of the movie enough that something like a knife shing or this sort of like big like boom or something like that you're like okay we're not in like a a a saw dungeon so in that way it was trying to just like build an aesthetic and stick to it so that was kind of tricky so sometimes you know i think in my first cut i had a lot of things that were a little bit too much just felt like they were from a different movie so trying to dial how many cuts did you go through with watcher um it's a little tough to say like, I mean, in terms of cuts where it's like, we would um, take it and send it to someone. Basically Chloe was off shooting. I was putting the movie together while she was shooting. So, you know, on Wednesday I was cutting Tuesday's footage. Um, So I did my cut. She came in and I think she had like eight or 10 weeks to do her cut from there. We did um, producer's notes we sent it off to like friends and family just to get their notes before we did our preview screening preview screening. We do our notes from there. And then it's just more of kind of like a loose thing where we just keep doing notes until we lock it. Um, And I think that it, it just escalated quickly in terms of getting it done because we got our Sundance. We had pickups that were we were waiting on we got into sundance and then we had like christmas break so it was just a big rush to get a lot of our vfx done and our music done before everyone went on break and then we only had a little bit of time before it needed to get to sundance so um 
Yeah, the thing that was really nice and we were very lucky about was getting this preview screening sort of before Delta dropped because we had a full theater. So we could really see what was working and what didn't. And I think a lot of times you, you see the movie so many times that you lose sight of kind of what is working. You, you, you don't know what isn't working all the time because there are things that you like and maybe no one else does, Mm -hmm. but you also lose sight of what is working. And there was a scene where I was like, this scene is going to kill this one, not so much. And it was the total opposite. So it was great Mm -hmm. to have the one where it's like the entire theater gasped and we were like news to me, but great. Um, (laughs) you know, like I'll take it. And everyone loves that part. Um, but that was good just because, you know, we were really bummed that we couldn't play in a theater and Sundance. And we were like, we know that this is a theater movie and we know because of how it builds, like we want you glued in. Um, so I think we're, we're lucky enough to get uh, a theatrical for it. And like, you know, my parents were like, Oh, should we watch it uh, online? I was like, I would like you to, but I'd really, really like you to see it in a theater safely if and when possible. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, like seeing seeing things work and seeing an audience like really flip out when they're supposed to feel so good. Like it's so crazy. That's awesome. Well, uh, yeah. Again, thanks for coming on and yeah, dealing with us. <laughs> awesome. No, thanks. Uh, thanks for dealing with me. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Major thank yous to Michael Block for joining us for a little impromptu interview about his editorial work on watcher directed by chloe akuno and starring micah monroe who you again you know from it follows and the guest please check it out it's released by ifc midnight it's available on vod starting today the 21st so you can check it out on voodoo apple amazon it's available anywhere you would stream and rent films you might also be able to see it in the theater please check your local showtimes if you're in st louis i believe two theaters are still showing it ronnie's and maybe chase park uh again google it or look around make sure before you make a drive to a theater don't rely completely on me you can follow us on twitter at dtb horror you can also find us on instagram at destroy the brain and join our discord it's a lovely area where a whole bunch of horror fans are chatting away discord.destroythebrain.com our next podcast episode will be episode 5 of Battle of the Boutiques where we take Alligator versus Grizzly and that will be out Friday. Thank you again and until next time adios.